On this episode of AvTalk, our reaction to United's surprise order for 50 Airbus A321 XLR aircraft. An escape slide escapes from a Delta 767 and lands outside Boston. And one airline suspends operations while another is on the break. Hello and welcome to episode 72 of AvTalk. I am Ian Pechnik here as always with... Jason Rabinowitz. And hello, Ian. How are you? Hello, Jason. I'm doing very well. How are you? I'm good. So 72. It's a nice, nice round number that isn't really we, round, we, but we've sounds reached, like it. We've reached room temperature. Oh, nice. Yes. It's good, comfortable Fahrenheit temperature. Yes. It, it not, uh, that would not be, a good, not be good in Celsius. But it's nice to talk to you before I see you this weekend. Oh, right. Yeah. I, that's like two trips down the line. Um, <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm actually going to DC tomorrow and back before that. So it's, it's not even like in my mind right now yet. I have to purge this next trip out. But you're, yeah, you're, not, you're uh, not in the, the right mental space for uh, no, not yet. A, a trip um, to Scandinavia. I'm still in train in Amtrak mode before I have to tackle flight mode. But yes, yeah, oh, so yeah. I'm, I'm very excited for our annual pilgrimage to Stockholm for pickled herring. Exactly. We'll, we'll have to get into the, all kinds of pickled herring. And and have you tried the Yulmust yet? I've tried everything. Okay. I can't go all the way to Stockholm for a smorgasbord and not try the everything. Okay. Well, then we'll, we'll make sure that we report back on the next episode. But we'll do a little bit of recording while we're there in Stockholm in preparation for the next episode. But first, this episode, which is not in Stockholm, because we are not there yet. Because you have to, you're going to DC on a train. Is that even allowed? It's not only allowed; it's encouraged. Because flying between New York and DC is a freaking disaster most often. Well, especially with you know LaGuardia and DCA being under uh, under construction. That that seems... I don't even get to go to DC. I need to go to uh, Dulles, and there are only four flights a day from LaGuardia, and they're usually very, 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 very late. Um, well, then. So taking Amtrak is, even though it goes into the heart of DC and not actually Dulles, which is where I need to go, it's much better. Well, I wish you the best of luck and a speedy return so that we can meet up this weekend. Let's talk about the fact that it's raining in Boston and it's raining 767 escape slides. Oh, I mean, it is raining water, like liquid rain as well. But yeah, that's not supposed to happen. It's not. For those unfamiliar with the proper operation of an aircraft, you are supposed to depart and land with all of the pieces attached. Yeah, generally a good guideline. So this was on Sunday, I think. A Delta 767 was on approach to Boston Logan from, I believe it was Paris. It was Paris. And on final approach over the little town or village or whatever of Milton, Massachusetts, it just, for whatever reason, jettisoned one of its escape slides for no apparent reason. It was not one that was baked into the exit door. I think this is one of the overwing exits that's packed into either the wing or the outside of the fuselage. I'm not quite sure, but it just kind of uh, rained a slide, which weighs, I'm guessing, several hundred pounds on this neighborhood. But thankfully, it missed... uh, everyone and everything and there was no damage on the ground. Yeah, it just kind of pancaked into into somebody's yard and they they called the police, the police called the the state police, the state police called the FAA and a bunch of folks came out and said, "Yep, that's from a plane." Well, the article I saw, it said uh, the guy approached it who was nearby and it literally had Boeing stamped on the side. So uh, it wasn't too much guessing where it came from. Right, right. That uh, it, nothing 
quite as heavy as an escape slide has ever landed in my yard. But I grew up on final the final approach to O'Hare. And I remember when I was in high school, an approaching aircraft dropped. Um, it was a, a flap uh, fairing into uh, a friend's yard. And the FAA came out and collected the, the things and, and it, it left quite, quite the dent in, in their yard. But nothing quite as uh, big or, or as impressive as an escape slide. Nope. Can't say I found anything in my yard by JFK at any point. Not that I know of. <laughs> yeah, well, that, that, that's probably good. So let's stick with Delta and give the fine folks at Delta a, a tip of our cap, uh, a round of applause, and a slack-jawed look at the fact that the 757 that experienced a hard landing in Ponta Delgada a few months ago is now back in revenue service. Yeah, that's impressive. They uh, shipped a bunch of parts out there, I guess, with an AN-124 a few months ago, and they deadheaded it back to Atlanta, where the the, uh, AMTs, techs, all manner of people who would do this kind of thing, actually fixed the damn thing and and got it back into service this week. And there was a lot of speculation, some of which from me that this thing would be scrapped. Some, I even said it may be scrapped there in Punta Delgada because that's not exactly the kind of place that's conducive to fixing a a very broken aircraft, is it? No, I I mean, they, so they kind of fixed it a a couple different times. So they, they fixed it enough there to fly it back to Atlanta. And then they fixed it, I guess, more enough or just kind of gave it a, a closer inspection and then brought it down to Jacksonville for a couple months where uh, basically a, a specialized uh, MRO did, I guess, the, the bulk of the work to – I mean, what do you just – is it like a big airplane iron? Just I you know, like a know. steam kind of thing where they just iron out the wrinkles? I, I doubt that's how it works. But it's back in service. Yeah, this wasn't – one of the newest 757s out there. It's uh, a little over 23 years old, but it's certainly not one of the oldest. So I, I would have would have understood if they had scrapped it or decided to repair it. I guess it this is Delta, so I'm guessing they ran the numbers real hard and determined, yeah, it's economical to repair this rather than scrap it because they ain't making any more 75s. Yeah, and I mean they're they're a workhorse, and so it'll it'll be interesting to see how much longer that things, you know in the air. I have a feeling it's going to be a good while. A good while. Let's switch gears and go a little international now to an airline that is was, you know, still offering a, a great product, but pieces of that product are being slowly stripped away. And there's some some real concern that if they don't figure things out, they're not going to be flying for very much longer. Jason, tell us a little bit more about the the trouble that Hong Kong Airlines is facing. Sure. So Hong Kong Airlines has been financially strapped for quite a while now, um, but it seems like things are getting quite desperate at the airline. They've had to withhold pay from employees. They are cutting back unprofitable routes. I think they announced they're suspending at some point soon um, all long-haul flying. Financial difficulties at Hong Kong Airlines is nothing new. It's not a direct result of the, I guess, the civil unrest in Hong Kong. It, It predates that, though. It certainly wasn't aided by the uh, situation currently in Hong Kong, but they have been deferring delivery of aircraft, not taking up aircraft. There's a a wide number of other airlines out there taking up A350s and 787s that were destined for Hong Kong Airlines that are now 
elsewhere. I think with uh, Qatar and Fiji Airways and all sorts of other airlines have their aircraft. But this week it was announced that really time was really running out for Hong Kong Airlines to get some money. I think the Chinese government gave them until the, the 5th of December to figure out what their plan was to secure fun- some fundings. And it seems like the HNA group has figured something out, but nothing is set in stone. Nothing is certain. But if I were a passenger who had a flight booked on Hong Kong Airlines in the immediate or even near future, I would really start thinking about a plan B at this point. Yeah. I mean, it's one of those things where none of it is really surprising at this point, given all of the things that we, we've seen, kind of the what was it last week? Their their IFE they they announced their IFE would stop working at the beginning of December. Yeah, we've seen this before with Jet Airways, where they get so desperate that they, in, a, in an effort to cut costs, they actually turn off their in-flight entertainment system, so they don't have to pay their content service provider. Um, yeah, it's a, it's. It is money in the bank for them, but that's a real move out of sheer desperation to be doing something like that, to offer long-haul flights without entertainment because you can't afford the content. That sets up all sorts of red flags that there is no money uh, left in the bank for this airline. We'll see what happens, but airlines typically don't really come back from this kind of brink, but we'll see. Fingers crossed. Jet Airways couldn't do it. Maybe Hong Kong Airlines. And they have not only the the not taken up airframes that have been taken up by other airlines, but they have relatively recent A350s. I mean, they've been taking, I think, what is as early as, or as late as early this year, if if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, they've been taking some, not taking others. A lot of the white tails that you see out in Toulouse or or Hamburg, they were destined for Hong Kong Airlines. And also it's uh, Heinen, the other HNA uh, Heinen Group airline, but not not great times for the uh, the HNA yeah, group. So I mean, we'll we'll keep an eye on that. But but like Jason said, if you're booked on there, uh, definitely keep an eye on your booking and maybe come up with a backup plan. Speaking of airlines that are on the brink, technically, Atlas Global, the Turkish carrier, has suspended its operations. Yeah, again, this is something we've seen before. And airlines that suspend operations due to financial difficulties, they never come back or it's extremely rare. And in this case, Atlas Global, the uh, Turkish airline that didn't really know whether it wanted to be low cost or full service, kind of like Air Berlin, they said on November 26th that they would temporarily suspend all flights to restructure the airline through to December 16th. In my opinion, no, they're not coming back. That is an exceptionally long time to suspend. We'll see, but I can't think of a of a circumstance where an airline suspended operations due to financial difficulties so suddenly and somehow managed to come back. Yeah, and and I think it's worth noting that a number of their aircraft have been moved into storage in a few airports in France. They had a leased A330 that was on I'm not sure if it was wet lease or or if it was a longer a longer term lease of a different sort but that has since gone back to Egypt so not great signs for for an airline when you're seeing aircraft go back to to airports that are that are generally known for dealing with lease return aircraft yeah so uh rest in peace to yet another airline that will almost certainly make the list of 2019 uh airline 
that didn't quite make it through the year. We'll discuss that a little bit more in the last episode of the year, but that's going to be a rather long segment this year. And I feel like it was last year too. So tell me a little bit about maybe not flying full throttle all the time. Okay. Well, out in India, um, whose airlines have a, a large number of A320neos, I think the, the largest set of A320neos operating in the world right now are actually in India. There was an article from Bloomberg earlier this or last week that it wasn't really written all that well, but they were saying that uh, Indigo, the Indian LCC, was revving its engines way too much on departure, uh, further reducing, I guess, their um, their lifespan, leading to all sorts of engine failures, and eventually the um, Indian authorities saying that the airline would have to replace something like 120 engines by the end of the year, which is just not something that's really feasible or even possible. So what what happens here is they were comparing it against Go Air India, who has also the A321 or the A320neo with the same engines, but wasn't experiencing any of the same engine failure issues that Indigo was. And apparently, Indigo uses a takeoff procedure where basically after rotation, they leave the engines at um, maximum thrust or near maximum thrust to get to a higher altitude quicker. And once you're at a higher altitude, the engines are more efficient and you burn less fuel. So it's a little counterintuitive that you, you're you at a higher thrust level, but you're saving fuel. It, the, the math works out. Well, as GoAir was not doing that, they weren't pushing their engines as hard on takeoff and they weren't having any of the issues. And apparently since then, Indigo has revised its policy on um, these full throttle departures and they're hoping that that has an impact that they're, they won't experience the kind of staggering number of engine failures they've been experiencing with the 320 Neo over the past couple of years. And maybe they'll match GoAir's performance, but very interesting to see how a, a standard procedure that's done with by many airlines and all sorts of aircraft types could have potentially been leading to um, a rash of engine failures and um, premature wear on these engines. Yeah, it, to me the 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 idea that, because it's like you said it's it's counterintuitive but you have to look kind of like the total fuel consumption versus, you know, the parts of a whole. And so taking that versus, you know, a greater total fuel consumption but a less, I guess, high impact way of, you know, running the engine. That kind of makes sense to me, but it, the difference to each you know type of procedure that's what surprises me it would make that big of a difference but again i am not a power plant engineer and so i assume that it does make sense in that context and and hopefully that's what solves the problem for them i guess we'll see and there was a lot of speculation maybe it was some sort of the pollution was corroding away at the 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 fan blades and on and on but i'd be surprised if this was it and i Hope Pratt and Whitney is able to figure out exactly what is going on there because uh, normal procedures like that probably shouldn't be leading to so consistently leading to engine failures. Yeah, it's always good when you figure out the root cause of, of why all those engines are failing. So we talked in a previous episode about Air Tanzania and their A220 that was seized in South Africa, and they had or have multiple aircraft on order 
And one of those that was due for delivery very recently is now enjoying further sit time in Canada, thanks to the same, a lawsuit from the same person who caused the A220 to be seized in South Africa. It's impressive how far this farmer from uh, from Africa is willing to go to get his get the money owed to him. It's one thing going to the South African government, at least that's in the same continent, but getting the aircraft seized, seized before delivery all the way in Canada, that takes perseverance. I'm, I'm impressed. I mean, it's rather impressive. I wonder what the, the cost benefit here is because hiring lawyers in multiple countries to file all the paperwork to ensure that these things happen. I mean, that seems like a, a lot of work. And, yeah, and, and it, I don't know how much that would cost, but obviously it costs less than than what he's owed. So we'll see how that goes. But uh, apparently he's owed millions of dollars. So whatever it takes to file whatever they need to file can't possibly be millions. But at this point, it almost seems like they're doing it just to screw with the government. The issue is not with the airline itself, but the airline is state owned, I believe. So these. Individual aircraft represent millions upon millions of dollars, probably one of the most expensive assets the the government has. So they're they're kind of an easy target, actually. Yeah, I mean, especially with the the way the the financing and everything works, and, and being able to have large, phys- easily trackable physical assets. You know, they, when a plane's being delivered, you kind of know where it is. And, and easy to get. So it, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what else is seized or not seized or, or how quickly they can get the Dash 8 delivered. Last week was Thanksgiving and it's always a busy travel season. The TSA always does, you know, what you can bring in, what you can't bring in, you know, pack your pie, leave the whipped cream at home, that kind of stuff. But one of the things that was pretty interesting was American Airlines ran a huge bank relatively speaking, of flights out of DFW on Monday morning between midnight and I think it was like 3.45 a.m. When they truly, normally have, truly awful times. When I mean, they normally great, have one flight. Great if you're the person that needs to get from DFW to wherever that night and you didn't want to go earlier, but terrible timing. Yeah, I just feel bad for everybody involved. So I think you or someone else ran the numbers, and typically on a a Sunday night, DFW has one, two, three, four, six departures between midnight and 5 a.m. Only one of them, I believe, is even an American flight to uh, to Miami, departs 5 a.m., actually. But some of these flights in, in this list that you compiled – let me run through them. There was um, one of the earlier ones was 12, 11 a.m. to Peoria. No big deal. That was estimated to arrive uh, not too long after. But some of these flights, there's a 12, 35 a.m. departure to Memphis. Uh, let's scroll farther down, get some wacky ones. 12, 50 a.m. to Atlanta. 1.22 a.m. to JFK. 1.35 a.m. to JFK. That one's actually a Delta flight. So Delta got in on the action as well. Uh, 2.01 a.m. to DCA, 2.44 a.m. to LaGuardia, and then the cycle set over at 5 a.m. on that first flight of the day out to Miami. And I can't imagine what someone on a 2.44 a.m. departure to LaGuardia was feeling that night. 
Yeah, I, I like I said, I, I feel bad for everybody involved. Crew, passengers, the ground crew that had to be there, the, the just everybody. I, I feel bad for everybody. They but, seem I like mean, a good idea at the time when you're booking, but they rarely are. Right. And and the the thing that was in most I guess most interesting to me was that when American was talking about this, they said, Yeah, th- these are popular flights. They People book these tickets on, you know, they do this kind of, you know, every year. This year happened to be, I think, a, a little bit bigger than than in years past, the number of flights after midnight. But it's just people like these flights. Well, I wouldn't say like, but people do, in fact, take these flights. It's not like they're flying empty planes. These are Yeah, some of still- them aren't terrible. If you're on the, let's see, the, the 12, 14 a.m. flight to Albuquerque, you're going west so it's not all that bad. 1218 to Omaha, you're probably not getting in past 2 a.m. maybe at that point. So it's doable for that to get home from the airport, have a few hours of sleep. The truly horrifying ones are the, the red eyes that get you to TCA at 7 a.m. after you leave at, at pretty much 3 a.m. That's, that's pushing it. Yeah, I, I don't think so. No, thank you. Is what I nope. will say to that. Nope, nope, nope. The key to flying over Thanksgiving is to don't, at least in my opinion. That's good advice. Yeah, I mean, normally I'm I'm all for flying. Let let's go let's go flying. But mm, holidays are that's uh, I don't I don't like it. So okay. But, but, but my honest advice is is always to people when they ask you know they they ask about flying over the holidays and things like that. Fly on the holiday. You know, if, if at all if, possible. If you, yeah, yeah, flying if, if Thanksgiving morning is is a great idea. Fly on Thanksgiving, fly on Christmas, and then leave after everyone else has, if you have to do it. Yeah. Uh, if you fly Thanksgiving morning, Christmas morning, you run the risk of you have very little room for error. So if your flight's delayed or canceled, you're probably screwed completely. But if the flight is on time or goes out with an hour delay, you're going to have a good time. Yeah. Yeah. And, and be nice to everyone you see. Bring candy. There you go. I th- that, that's a good rule no matter what. Always bring candy. Should we take a quick break after having learned that lesson? We'll catch a breath and we will come back and we will talk about some more things in the sky. Okay. Welcome back. We have breaking news during our recording. Something has happened before and while we are recording for the first time in the history of this podcast. Yeah, that's that's just the news. That news is happening before we record. Do we even have to talk about it? I feel like it, it, it's enough just to know that something happened before we recorded and not 20 seconds after we stopped. And just let everyone figure out what we're talking about. Yeah. No, no, no. Why, <laughs> take it away. So the news is that there is possible news. Bloomberg is reporting that United is nearing an order for A321neos. 50 of the A321neos with deliveries to begin in 2024 with an imaginary made up completely arbitrary value of $7.1 billion at list prices, which as we've talked about in a number of episodes, nobody pays list prices for airplanes. I, why are those numbers even reported on? Can, I, can, I don't know. I, I really need to talk to you know everyone at, at, in the aviation media at the next uh, roundtable and then say, stop it. Stop reporting on, on these 
fi- totally fictional list prices because they mean nothing. Yeah, no, it, it, this is a, a complete aside, but I think an important one. It would be good to come up with some sort of usable valuation for. I don't think it's possible to do it. Well, a bit, I mean, just some sort of like a, a ballpark range of like. If you're a large airline, a small airline, or if you're ordering X, not like I, it would be so wonderful if someone were to be able to do that, where you could plug in what airline is buying what aircraft and it spits out a number. So, Jason, get to work on a magic calculator. Got it. It's important to note also these are of the XLR version, not just an ordinary 321neo, but the XLR. Yes, apologies. So I, I should um, have specified. It's surprising as uh, United has 100 orders pending for the 737 MAX 10, which I believe the first one just rolled out of the factory in the last couple of weeks. But this is a, a coup for Airbus having a, an order for United for narrowbody aircraft. That has not happened in a very long time. Yeah, I mean, we're we're used to United taking secondhand Airbus short-haul aircraft from wherever they can gobble them up. But it'll be interesting to see what type of route they might put these on. I mean, obviously, they've they've got the, I think it's 75, 757 split between the 200 and the 300. And so it'll be interesting to see, you know, the, the 321XLR is kind of a... 757 replacement-ish, Ish. but it will be interesting to see what, what they do with these. I, does it become a one-for-one one 757 replacement, or does it become you know a, a more long and lean kind of – does it open up new routes for United? It is interesting because uh, they've already said that the 737 MAX 10 would be the replacement for its current – Transcon subfleet of 757s, which are getting long in the tooth at this point. So that's already settled. So they probably won't be used for that. These will almost certainly be hopping across the Atlantic, maybe uh, Houston into deeper South America, the west coast of Hawaii, even they don't they really need it for that. There, there's lots of opportunities for this. And I'm just trying to think of the last Airbus order United placed where an aircraft actually got delivered and it, was it the A320s and 19s way back in the 90s? I mean, it, it's been a long time because, I mean, and, and you say the last order that has been delivered because there's that, ostensibly, there's that A350 order floating out there, maybe somewhere. Yeah, I wouldn't hold my breath on that one. No, but, and, and this order possibly paves the way for that cancellation because now you're not parking your money anymore. In, in a plane you're never going to take, you can probably move that over to the XLR. That'll be interesting to see. I mean, we, we've got a ways to go. I mean, we're, we're looking at you know, four, roughly four years before they, they would take delivery of any of these aircraft. But surprising nonetheless. Yeah. We'll see what happens. That is, again, that is unconfirmed news. That was a scoop from Bloomberg, though I do know that there is a press conference or uh, some sort of embargo thing happening any minute now that I wasn't invited to, but I caught wind of. Um, So hopefully this becomes confirmed any minute now and will be long since confirmed by the time this podcast actually rolls out. So speaking of kind of surprising things, the uh, new Berlin airport recently announced that the 31st of October of 2020 will in fact be the day that, quote, this time it will happen, unquote. 
did they bring along any rationale to why we should believe them this time and forget the other 8,000 times they announced it would be opening? He said it with enthusiasm. Oh, well, if a German is enthusiastic about something, I mean, it's probably going to happen. I mean, he wouldn't want to announce something and then have it not open. That's it's unprecedented. That would be very silly. It's almost like that's nine years behind schedule. Weird. Um, I don't believe it. They say a lot of work still has to be done. I'm still convinced they're going to knock the whole thing down and start over again. And it still doesn't even make any sense now that Air Berlin doesn't exist anymore. Do they even really need it? I don't know. But I'm not holding my breath. And this is just, I love this story so much. I, I mean, it, it's really one of those things that you want to root for them. You really do. Like You don't want it to be where they that it doesn't happen for them. If a child was born on the day BER was supposed to have originally opened, what grade in elementary school would they now be in? They would be in the third or fourth grade. Wow. So they're already doing like long division. Indeed. If long division is still done in grade school. I I, I have no idea. We should uh, should ask somebody about that. If if you're a fourth grader listening to this podcast – have your parents email us at podcast at fr24.com. Yeah. Uh, do, I, we want to know what kind of math you're doing. I, I don't believe this. This is we'll, – we'll see, of course. I, I would see. expect uh, in sometime in September they say, whoopsies, we'll see in 2021. Well, they still have to do a number of things to get the airport certified. They still need to do the final safety check and all of the, the pre-operational activities. But – they sound really convinced this time. So as we go on throughout this episode, I will say I am very optimistic on their behalf. That sounds misplaced, but let's run with my, it. My misplaced optimism is legendary. Thank you very much. Okay. Good, sir. Good to know. So tell me about horses. They, they sometimes gallop. They, they're, they're, they have long tails, which is nice. Uh, manes. Uh, anything specific? Oh, just wondering about what happens when you fly horses halfway across the Atlantic and then turn around and come right back. Oh, they flew more than halfway across the Atlantic. They flew over the Atlantic. I should say halfway to Mexico City. And then they turned around and then then flew over the Atlantic again. Well, yeah. I mean, they they got – to be fair, the horses were inside of a KLM 747. Oh, okay. Now you're being more specific. So, yes. yes. These were not flying horses. Those are called – what are they? Unicorns? I think Pegasus, Pegasus is what you're going yeah, for. Yeah, unicorn, Pegasus, whatever. I'm, I'm not. I mean, maybe uh, unicorns no fly. I don't know. Expert. What do you that, want from me? This is that's a different podcast. Okay. Anyway, uh, back back <laughs> to airplanes podcast. and aviation. Uh, there was an, a volcano that erupted outside of Mexico City. Didn't seem to have much of really any air traffic impact, except for one particular flight, the KLM seven four seven Combi was heading from Amsterdam down to Mexico City. And as they approached mainland Canada, they turned around and diverted all the way back to Amsterdam. The flight was over 11 hours, uh, beginning to end, and they ended up going nowhere, which is about the length of the flight from Amsterdam to Mexico City. So when people saying, how could they possibly have had enough fuel to go across the Atlantic, turn around and go back again? Well, they had plenty of fuel because the the flight wasn't actually any longer than originally intended. But lots of questions were raised. Why would this happen? Don't really know specifically, but apparently there were horses on board who 
when they would arrive at Mexico City, there may have been issues unloading them or, or air quality levels. Not quite sure. Aircraft operationally wise, I don't buy the excuse that they were playing it super safe because no other airline seemed to have any issues whatsoever, including other 747s from Lufthansa and others. I don't buy that at all. Too bad if you uh, don't agree with me. But apparently passengers were not well taken care of when they did return to Amsterdam since that was basically the middle of the night and reports from passengers on Twitter that were on the flight said they were basically abandoned at Amsterdam until the flight departed again the next day, which is unfortunate that such precious cargo in the back of the combi deprioritized the, you know, the human passengers up front. Of course, I get the you have to have the safety of all things on board in mind, but that really sucks an 11-hour flight that ends up going nowhere. That's got to be up there. And we've seen them. We've seen you know these ultra long haul flights before that turn around halfway, sometimes more than halfway. I think the most recent one that that I can recall was when the flight from Doha to Hong Kong turned around somewhere. I think it was over China and flew all the way back to Doha, and it ended up being like twelve hours or something like that. And before that, when India and Pakistan closed airspace, there was a, a Thai Airways flight that that flew quite a long ways and then flew quite a long ways home. Yeah, there was also, but, yeah. uh, what was this, in 2017 at this point, when when uh, JFK had its snowpocalypse and a good number of transatlantic flights turned around, um, even as far back as Moscow, I believe. So it's not unprecedented, but I'm still very, very unconvinced that they actually needed to go all the way back to Amsterdam. Yes, you don't want to divert to the US because um, there's all sorts of visa issues and and ground handling issues, but what I, I they still have not answered what about the situation on the ground in Amsterdam would have prevented them from unloading the horses. I, I don't know. I wish they had been a little more clear about that, but all yeah, well, well, it, it well. also didn't help the initial statement by the airline said that there were no horses on board. Right. So they didn't really seem to know what was going on. They let, later clarified that yes, there are horses on board. I would have been irate if I were a passenger on that flight though. And I think anyone would be well within their rights to be irate. And again, I mentioned there were people on on Twitter responding, oh, you wouldn't get it. You're not in the industry. You don't know that this is all about the passenger safety. Well, then was every other airline operating into Mexico City unsafe? Doesn't seem like it. I don't know. If you are a horse expert, I would love to know what about the situation there could have been harmful to horses. I don't know. I'm genuinely interested. Yeah, no, I I would love to have more information why the horses made it such an issue. I like I get, you know, the no diversion thing, like go all the way back to Amsterdam. That makes total sense. You don't want to end up somewhere with a, a load like that that you can't handle. Right. And that I get. But yeah, exactly. What in Mexico City made the situation untenable for them? In an interesting twist, a airline named Norwegian will no longer fly long haul from Norway mm. or, or Sweden for that matter. It seems like Norwegian is finally uh, tightening the bolts on its financial sheets, I guess, um, and will discontinue its long haul 787 flights from, from uh, Norway and Sweden and focus on, I guess, their, what would you call it, mainland Europe flights, Madrid, London, uh, Barcelona, and focus all their attention on there. And this is partly due to, I'm guessing those flights probably weren't very profitable. They're not 
uh, business traveler heavy, which is where the money is. But they've also been having epic issues with the engines on their 787-8s, which at some point, um, most of which were grounded a couple months ago. And I guess they're they're focusing on putting the aircraft that they have actually still running in place where they're, they can be most profitable. Yeah, I mean, and they were just granted slots at Heathrow, I think, yesterday. Oh, yeah, we didn't talk about that yet. I'm still confused by that situation. Well, before we move on, I need to quibble with your, your definition of mainland Europe because putting you know the UK as part of mainland, we're going to get all sorts Uh-oh. of emails. So, so, so let's just say not Scandinavia. There you go. That'll work. And move on from there. So to get back to Heathrow for a second, Norwegian requested 14 weekly slots. They were given six. So, and these, so these are not slots get, that they are buying. This is a part of the lottery for new entry airlines. Right. So they end up getting basically three departures per week. Which is uh, crazy. And, what, do you, what do you do with that? Well, I mean, it's Norwegian, so obviously they'll do something. Will they? Maybe, maybe they pass. Yeah, I mean, they could. They, they could. I mean, you say we didn't get what we wanted, maybe we're, maybe we're going to go. But what's interesting to me is that if they're going to focus on Gatwick and they have flights from the other two, uh, Manchester and Edinburgh. So, I mean, you've got some UK options. It'll be interesting to see if and what they do with the Heathrow routes, considering that there's, there's not that much there. But obviously, that long haul flying that was taking place out of Oslo, that was taking place out of Stockholm, is going to go somewhere. So I guess why not Heathrow? But that just seems that seems counterintuitive yeah, to me. They're that you would also want to go somewhere not, like Heathrow. They're also not the greatest timed slots for transatlantic flying. So I think one of the days requires a pretty long sit at Heathrow, which is something uh, Norwegian absolutely does not ever do with its aircraft. They never sit on the ground long enough to like I don't know cool down. So <laughs> maybe they'll pass. Maybe they'll do something. Some sort of three times weekly flight to, to New York. I don't know. That's for Norwegian to figure out. But I, I did find it a little interesting that JetBlue got nothing. Um, they obviously applied for flights to Heathrow. This would have been their preferred way to break into Heathrow or the London market at all. And they got nothing. Better luck next time. Yep. We'll see. Let's stay in Scandinavia and we'll talk about SAS got a new aircraft, and they got rid of an old aircraft. So they, they took delivery of their first A350 last week. And it looks good. Uh, it does look really good. I am very visually pleased by its presence. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> they took delivery of the aircraft. It's going to fly around for training and crew familiarization flights over the next month and a half or so, a little bit in Denmark. Sweden and, and Norway, and then it will enter service on the 28th of January from Copenhagen to Chicago. So I am excited about that and, and to get to see it on the inaugural flight. So looking forward to that. At the same time, a day or so later, they said goodbye to their 737-600 fleet. So the short, stubby NG version. Yeah, there uh, are uh, is, uh, not many of those left out there these days, are there? There are not. And SAS was uh, one of the, I mean, kind of the bulk, not bulkier operators, but it operated more of the more of the type than many other airlines. So, I mean, there, there's a few flying around. I believe, but, uh, at least I'm seeing, there many. are only four out airlines out there left operating the, the 600. At least that's what I'm able to see at a quick view. One of them, probably the largest operator right this, at this point, is the WestJet, who basically uses them as like a shuttle between uh, Toronto and, and LaGuardia. 
I believe Tunis Air has a few. Let's see who else. Who is uh, MF? Is that Shaman? That's probably just a, a broken code. And and then AH is Air Algier? I believe that is correct. Yes. yes. So there are not many left out there at all. No. And they're going away pretty fast. I think at least well, WestJet's getting ready to replace theirs. And I think Tunis Air as well. But yeah, go, going away quickly. Yeah, I would say WestJet is, is most likely going to be, at some point in the very near future, the, the sole operator of the type commercially, globally. Yeah, I, I would not be surprised. Yeah, I, I believe they're actually installing Wi-Fi on those. So they're probably keeping them around for the, the time being. That'll be interesting the, to have a, a 737 type with a single global operator. Are there any other 73 types out there? That we can trace to only one single airline, probably not even the 200 or the 300 or the 500. No, I mean, the, the 200s, I mean, well loved, especially in South America still. The 500, there's at least a couple airlines operate. Yeah, no, that's a, a very interesting question yeah, that I can't answer. Definitely a bunch of 500s out there with uh, some lesser known airlines that I, I can't even identify. What about the 400? It was. Was there even a 400? Yeah, there was a 400. Of course, there were. There's plenty of those out there. <laughs> Comair out in South Africa, the uh, British Airways subsidiary thing. Um, yeah, and they're, they're replacing there slowly but surely. But I mean, the, the 400 is a, a lovely uh, cargo conversion. Yeah, so the, the 600 is, is truly unique in that it might actually end up being a, a sole airline operation. I'm going to do some research to, to see, just beyond the 737, to see. I wonder if, if there are other airlines that are the sole operator of a type or a subtype, really. So if you've got an answer to that, podcast at fr24.com, I would love to hear if anybody's got an off-the-cuff answer, and we'll do some research on that one. Oh, and we got some uh, confirmation from Airbus. The United Order is indeed real. Hey. So 50 A321XLR. confirmation during the podcast. Look at that. To phase out older models, Airbus did not specify which, and launch an expansion of transatlantic routes from its key U.S. hubs in Newark slash New York and Washington, D.C. They'll take their first in 2024 and expect to begin international service in 2025. That's interesting. So late 2024, it must be. Indeed. Let's finish the show before any other news breaks with a couple of uh, short but interesting flights. The first of which set a Guinness Book of World record this past week. It was flown by an Emirates A380, and it set the Guinness record for the most nationalities on a single flight. 541 people from 145 different nationalities flew around the Emirates on an A380, and then they landed and they got a plaque, I guess. Cool. I want a plaque. But it sounds neat. And this was part of the, the UAE's year of tolerance. And the aircraft that they use is painted in a special year of tolerance livery. Were they just playing um, so Why Can't We Be Friends over the PA the whole time? One assumes that that is exactly what happened. Yeah. That's pretty cool, though. It was no, it was a neat thing and really cool that they could get that many you know different nationalities together and, and go for a, a flight. The the delivery looks nice too, so I, I like what they did there. An even shorter flight was one that that we've seen a, a few times before, but it caught some eyes, and that was a British Airways retirement flight. But the aircraft had been 
in Cardiff, uh, where BA does all of their heavy maintenance on their widebody fleet, and then retired to St. Athens, uh, which is basically down the road. Very cool. One of these days, we're going to see one of these very short flights take off and land in the same direction. It seems like they always, for obvious reasons, being the wind, uh, take off you know, to the east and having to circle all the way back around to land into the east. But one day, it'd be nice to see them do uh, just such a, a quick flight that they don't even have to change directions. Yeah, just just up and down. Up and down. Even, like even between even uh, LaGuardia and JFK, it, it's often a very loopy wave because they have to line up with the runway and the prevailing wind direction. But it's it's never just fl- plane go up, plane go down. Yeah, and, and I'm sure there's you know some sort of checklist and standard operating procedures and et cetera, et cetera. But but it would be nice to see. I think. All right. Well, if we do see it, we'll talk about it in the. In the next episode. The last thing I wanted to talk about before we end this episode and pack our bags for wherever we're going next is in an effort to make Jason happy, which is truly my only goal in life. We've been working for a while on getting uh, some new weather layers onto the site and into the apps. And it finally rolled out across the web and the iOS and the Android app. And super happy with new North American radar and Australian radar, which is a much higher resolution picture and a much higher update frequency. So the the weather on the site is, it's real weather. Yeah. I have been pestering Ian about this forever. 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 Yeah, I mean, it's since, uh, yeah, since I can remember. Since the honestly. dawn of time. And the new radar layer rolled out to the web a couple months ago at this point, but not to the iOS app where I, I use the service the most, where I would want it the most. And it's finally here, and I'm very happy. Yes. Yeah, so, All we need uh, now so- is multi aircraft tracking on the app. And I know you're, you're the- it's not happening, is it? <laughs> all things are possible on a long enough timeline. Mm, okay. I mean, you, you pulled, they pulled through on this one, so hats off to the developers. Um, that's my next challenge to issue. For sure. Uh, yeah, so the the new weather layers cover the North American layer. The Australian layer is easy. It covers Australia. The North American layer covers northern Mexico, the continental United States, southern Canada, Alaska, Hawaii, and Puerto Rico. And so that that gives a, a really good picture. We've got some some sample images up on the blog. We'll put some in the show notes, and hopefully everyone can uh, can check that out. If one of the things that you've been, you know, kind of missing or, or wanting is a bit better weather in certain areas, you've got it. I know that people outside of North America and outside of Australia are going to go. What about us? We are looking for providers and, and products that we can add to the site to make those kind of equal across all regions. It's not as simple as as I would want it to be, but we are working on that. So check that out, uh, the new North American and Australian weather layers. Super excited to see how, you know, the, using those layers, you know, lets us see what, what aircraft are doing and, and what they're going around. So looking forward to seeing that more both in the site and, and in the apps. So Jason's going to go get packed for, for DC. I am uh, going to start slowly packing my bags for Stockholm, and we will see everybody in the next episode. This has been episode 72 of Av Talk, and I am Ian Pechnik. And I'm Jason Rabinowitz. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening.